So whenever we uh, are struggling with, with bouts of being uh, uh, perhaps uh, feeling insignificant, feeling not cherished, or feeling overlooked, feeling disrespected, whatever rises for us, uh, uh, that suffering that arises, arises over what is not present. This is a continuation perhaps from, uh, from what day is this, Tuesday, from Sunday's, from Sunday's talk. And that's why we call it um, uh, an, ima you know, an, an imaginary, um, you know, just something that is imaginary, because it's what's not there that is causing the suffering for us. And so the Buddha encourages us not so much to look at what's not there, but to constantly turn our attention to what is there, and to be able to look and see what is present without feeling in any way intimidated by the current circumstance or the current moment. It doesn't mean it's a good moment, it might not be a pleasant feeling, you know, but if it's actually there, I mean, it's like it's actually there, you know. And he says, we don't have to read anything else into it. It's when we start uh, adding to the storyline, come to some conclusion about what we think this is, and uh, mostly based on how we feel about it, that's the sensory input that, that we get from, um, uh, from whatever is arising in the present moment, that, that sensory input, like, I, uh, this feels good, you know, I'll go with that, this doesn't feel good, I don't, so I don't like it, I have an aversion, I'm wanting, wanting to put, push it away. But he says that if we can learn to be in those uncomfortable spaces, and if we can learn to be even in the comfortable spaces without making any more of it than, than what it is, he says then that imaginary creature will not be born. We give it, in other words, we give it its life. And so in a way, in our normal way of living, we are like dying while living. Oh, so much suffering. You know, we're dying while, well, of course, we're literally dying, too. But, I mean, in uh, the sense of finding the, the, the joy, the wonderment, the sheer wonderment of the preciousness of a human life. And we miss most of that because we're so focused um, through the uh, creation of this imaginary character. And so we find ourselves dying while living. What meditation is, if I wanted to like capture it, you know, in a phrase, it's living while dying. Because yes, from the moment we're born until we drop off the corpse, we are moving towards death. But there is a way that we can uh, 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 hold this experience that uh, gives a, a joy and it gives a contentment to it, it allows us to be with the uncertainty of it and yet not be overcome by the insecurity of uncertainty. And so this is what this is all about. This is what this training is and as many facets to it, as many places you can take it. And, and all training is not for everybody, but some training is for everybody. And so we need to find out what is for us, what, what takes us towards that contentment, what takes us towards that acceptance, what takes us towards that happiness, so we can find happiness in this life. And he says, and the Buddha defines happiness really as seeing things as they actually are. Now, 
we could say, well, I see some things out there. I'm really seeing it, and there's nothing to be happy about in that. But that's the narrative of the mind. You know, let's say that, um, that there is something that needs to be repaired, but you don't know it's torn. You know, so you can't repair it because you don't know that it's torn. But once you see that rip, you're like, oh. And depending on, you know, where the rip is, I, you know, like sometimes um, everybody's into kind of loose stuff now. You know, it's really good. But when I was young, everything was tight. Everything was fitting, you know. And so you could hardly, like, move, at least for women in some of our clothes. You know, we had us wrapped up, tied up, everything. But, you know, like you move and you get a little tear right here where the seams come together under the arm, you know. And so, you know, you just kind of kept your arm down and you didn't bother to pull out the needle and thread. I mean, gee, just keep your arm down. That's all. And, and you know, so we didn't feel it. But if it unraveled up here, you know, you got to either, if you're going to wear that, you're going to have to sew it. You, you got to stitch it. And it's something like that. So in life, we have these uh, things that need to be addressed, these ways of seeing and knowing things, these ways of being in the world that are not beneficial, they're not fruitful, they're not helpful. Uh, but it might be the only way we know, the only way we've been uh, you know, introduced to. It might be that we have developed a habitual tendency and maybe even that tendency was necessary for our, our safety or survival in one environment. And now we've strapped it on our back and we carry it everywhere we go. And we're sniveling, this is my story and I'm sticking to it. And, and we find that we have not been able to lay down what's no longer needed or what's no longer useful. And sometimes we learn better ways, you know, always improving, learning better ways to do things, learning, learning better ways to see things, coming to a greater understanding of, of some things. There's some, some ways I, I have a very f a favorite teacher, and I'm not going to call her name because some of you may know her. She's, uh, uh, she's a friend of mine, but she's extremely uh, uh, popular in some groups. And I've always liked her because um, she's like straight up clear. She just says what has to be said, you know, and, and if that hurts your ears, just work on that. You know, and she's, and, but I was listening to her last night, you know, and I would say to myself, wow, I want to, I want to be like, I want to be able to say what needs to be said. If it needs unpacking, you unpack it, you know, and, and, and I would listen to her, her teachings. I mean, her, her Dharma is spot on. That's what I'm saying. It's not that soft, soapy, you know, that stuff that's not good for hardly anything. It, you know, except I'm okay, you okay, me like them, you, that kind of thing. But not enough to make people really work, you know, uh, be committed enough to work on themselves, un untying that, that tight shoe or, or you know, loosening uh, what is binding them. Just enough to get some, uh, uh, someone to agree with them that they're, they're in a bad situation, you know. And so... Uh, so, so I've, I've, I've always liked her very much, but as I was listening, and I listened to three of her Dharma talks last night, and I enjoyed them immensely, and I enjoyed the truth of the Dharma that definitely rang through. But what I noticed was that she has a way of being, um, uh, it felt hurtful in the way that she 
talks to some of them. Now, when it's your own students, you know, that's like your child. You just like get them straight. But I mean, these were people who were strangers coming in, don't know, have affinity with her. And, and she talks to them all like they're her, her children, I guess. You know, um, like I would talk to my children. And I know we got this whole thing about, about uh, whipping our kids, but we whipped our kids. I said, I whoop you so that you won't go out on the street because somebody who doesn't love you will whoop you. You can come with them with that attitude. And so, you know, and so, so it's like just being clear with them like that. But I looked at how she dealt with, and sometimes one person needs that because that's what shakes them or wakes them up. And another person, you have to be soft with them. But I just saw a consistent pattern of that's who she is, that's the way she rolls. You know, and I said, oh. It almost outweighed the Dharma for me. It didn't because I, I got the truth of what she was saying. But there was that bit of harshness there. And I said, well, maybe I'm too harsh sometimes when I'm talking with people. You know? I mean, like I'll say it two or three times. When I get to the fifth time, I'm battening down the hatches. You know? Um, but it's good from uh, a, a perspective of self-examination, to look at what you see out there. And when something grabs you, it grabs you for a reason. I mean, so look and see how you can um, use that to uh, promote what you want to do in a more effective way. You know. Um, and so I was glad to have this opportunity to visit with her, you know, just through the uh, YouTube for a little while. I said, you know what, I need to go back and look at my YouTube videos. I might need to take some of them down, you know, uh, really. Because someone who could receive something, maybe that one thing, you know, turned them away in a way that they couldn't hear what they needed to hear, what could really, really set them, what could really set them free. Um, so, so we should always be continually examining, continually something that's good for sometimes, not good for all times. And something's just not good for any time. The Buddha says sometimes I, 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 I correct gently, sometimes harshly, sometimes gently and harshly all at the same time. You know, so because somebody went and said, oh, the Buddha, he's so sublime, he's so, you know, loving, he's so patient. He said, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. He said, I just have to do what has to be done. But having the wisdom to know how to do what has to be done, that's what's important. And we can apply that in every area of our lives. It's not just like a, in a role of sharing the Dharma. I mean, in every area. I'm, I speak of that because that's what I do. That's my job. But what is your job? What is your role? What is, in your daily activities, what do you do? Where do you encourage people? How do you inspire people? And how do you work with them? in that process. Sometimes things have to be straightened out because we let it go too far. And then we mad with them. We know we let it get that far because we couldn't speak up, you know, just in the beginning and, and nip something in the bud or just trim a little flap here and there. And so this whole gathering of, um, of, uh, of Dharma is about helping us to be able to have what we need that we can use it as we go through our daily life. It's not to stuff in a bag and like just bring it uh, to the Dharma and throw it all out or something, but it helps with every step 
of our life, in every situation in our life, in every engagement with others in our life. And he calls that practice. He said, that's what I call practice. It's how you relate to each other, not when you're sitting on the pillow, because there you're just there with you. But when you're off the pillow, how do you relate with each other? What do you what do you offer? What do you what do you bring to the conversation? What do you, you know, what uh, what do you render for the benefit of the presence of others? And so we should be asking ourselves this question all the time. How can I support? How can I, how can I help? Of what benefit can I be? And he said, the more you do this, the more you uh, strike a dagger into the heart of that imaginary character you know, that we call by our name. You know, that, uh, 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 that we create uh, something around, uh, you know, that we insulate, that we isolate, that we either put on a pedal or that we throw down in a ditch. It, says, uh, it will uproot our, our continual tendency to be at the center of our lives. And that it, it takes us on the path towards our interconnectedness. You know, for instance, we, we recite the, uh, the, uh, uh, the ten virtues, and it's like I vow to avoid killing living, living beings. Now, that's not like, that's a no-brainer. It's not, why? Because I don't want anybody to kill me. You know, that's, a, that's all. You know, you don't steal. Why? Because I don't want anybody to steal from me. I mean, so he says, all you have to do is make you them. And, and that just becomes a natural, uh, a natural great wish, a natural desire. Whatever you don't want for yourself, whatever you don't want someone to do to you, he says that you should not. Uh, do that to others. So, so it's not like there's a cosmic God that's going to like, you know, uh, judge you for saying something good or saying something bad. It's not about, it's not about that. It's simply about how we can uh, bring about the arising of, uh, of a, um, an, a natural order, a way of being with others in the world based on we, what we actually want for ourselves. So he just says, like, in every situation, think if you were on the other end, what would you want? How would you want someone to relate to you? Even when I make a mistake, even when I'm wrong, I still want, I still want grace. I still want someone to forgive me. Even when, you know, I might have gone and corrected, and you don't know, and you're telling somebody about it a month ago, and that person doesn't even exist anymore because she already took care of that. But all you know from a little snapshot of something you saw, something you heard, and carrying that on next week, next month, next year, 10 years from now, you know, and so he says that's why the information that we take in from the, the sense gates is unreliable. It's unreliable because it only gives us a small snapshot and, and the, the shot we take depends a lot on our own uh, mood, our own views, our own relationship or non-relationship with the people involved. There's so many factors. And so he says better to just, you know, just not fiddle with other people too much. Don't worry about what they're doing or what they're not doing. Just sort of like keep your mouth zipped and uh, focus on yourself, what you're doing and not doing. It's a full-time job. And, of course, uh, 
I know some people would say, well, Pony, why do you should try that? But here's the thing, this, this, is, this is my job. You know, this is why I'm here. This is why the center is here, is to make this information available, to make the techniques available, the, uh, the methods to share the teachings of, of those that we feel really know the path, to, the path to happiness. So that means that sometimes some things have to be said, but they're said within the context of opening one up to the possibility of uprooting their own suffering because none of us can take away a, another person's suffering. You know, so one needs to be pointed to how do I uproot this in myself? How do I find my own, how, how, do, I, how do I get my own happiness going here? Because we have to figure that out. We think other people make us happy, but the same ones we think make us happy late, you know, not later, we're divorcing them or we're leaving them or like yesterday, we were like just friends yesterday, you know, and today something happens and like we've had a falling out. But we're best buds yesterday. Then we got another little snippet of information and like, oh, really? Well, I like this one better than I like that one. So I'm going to side over here. You know, so it's very difficult to stay neutral, but he trains us to find that neutral ground and to stay and to stay neutral. And so then our happiness doesn't get so disturbed. And he tells us that when it gets disturbed, like get back on the path. You know, we just recognize that my mind is agitated. It can be agitated around something that's exciting and, and you know, and we're I'm breathing more into it, or it can be agitated over something that uh, causes me distress, a sense of loss, a sense of sorrow, a sense of pain. He said, as long as you like, like lay around in that, in that mind, the more concretized that mode of thinking becomes until you can't dig yourself out with a shovel. And the only one who can dig me out is me. So some of it is a willingness, you know, am I willing? Am I willing to let something go? Am I willing to overlook a fault? Am I willing that when we do have words, can we have our words and we're done? You know, can, that needed to be discussed, we discussed it. End of story. We threw, the, why does it have to bleed onto the person? It doesn't. He said one of a faithful, temp, uh, uh, um, a hating temperament and one of an understanding temperament are really almost two of a kind. They're not 180 degrees apart. So the only difference is one uh, condemns the wrong thought that produced the wrong action, where the other one condemns the living being. So he said it's that much of a switch that we need to make. That's such good news for some of us, because some of us know we're haters, you know, but we're just like hating on the wrong thing. So switch it from the person and just to that part of that uh, action, the, that thought that produced uh, that uh, action that was harmful or that was not beneficial. And when we do that, we'll find that we can love unlovely people who do unlovely things. We can love, it becomes easy to love the unlovely because we see something else there at play. We see the, the, uh, the great uh, suffering uh, I was talking with Maureen today, and you know, and we were talking about this, and it was something like, uh, she said she remembered uh, 
uh, they encountered a dog that had been hit on the road and they went to help the dog, but the dog in its pain went to bite him. So they had to wrap his mouth to pick him up, to take him to get shelter. So sometimes when somebody's railing on you, when somebody is like, they, you know, they're in a tizzy, that's them screaming in pain, in personal pain. It might be directed at you, but it has nothing really to do with you. It's just striking out in their in their pain. And if we understand this, then we'll get um, better at being able to uh, not only tolerate, but to hold the suffering of others. Now, so this is where our practice takes us. We usually come for personal selfish reasons, like, it's like I'm like so suffering, you know, I'm suffering. And then we start hearing about a way to get out of something like I say, I'm not doing that though. So until the willingness to do whatever it takes to get out and not the things that we've always done that never got us out, uh, we, it's nothing to do but to keep hearing. But that's okay because line upon line, precept upon precept, here little, there little, we hear and hear and hear. And one day something makes sense. It drops down in us. Or we get a little bit of courage to change, to say, I don't want to be that way anymore. There's a friend sitting here today, and he said that to me one day. He said, I used to be a hellion. You know, he said, I just don't want to be that way anymore. And I never forgot it. When it and the thing is, that when I looked at him, I looked into his eyes. His eyes were the, so loving and so gentle, and he was a gruff person. You know, I could, I could handle him because I could be gruff too. But, but it encouraged, I'm saying it encouraged something in me. You know, that I could see this change. I could see, because maybe all I saw was that. But I saw beyond, behind that. I saw down into a person with the capacity to be so loving. And, and it was so like right out there, like a, like a fragrance. And I said, I'd like to be like that. And so... So he says that we take this practice, and this is how we use it. We don't have to make it anything more than that. Now, I'll tell you there's something more than that. But, but don't, don't hop up to 11th grade. Just start first, second, don't skip grades. Because you miss something that, that's useful. It can be just a little thing, but it's useful in your, in your social development, perhaps, um, that, that we um, go through all the stages of the path. And sometimes somebody entered on the fifth floor, you know, and, and they may have to step down a couple and pick up a little bit of information that they missed. And then they continue on. Some come in on the 11th floor, some comes in on the, on the first level. It doesn't matter because everyone has to get what they need. And that means we start from right where we are. What ails you? Like, what's in your wallet? And so, and so we think in ways like this. We think like this, this first step, second third step, third step, fourth, fourth step, fifth step. But it's not exactly like that. He says start right where you are with the view that you hold, you know. And so the, in one sense, there is a generalized um, uh, training, but in another sense, it's a very individualized, very individualized training. And some people uh, approach something from a certain um, 
standpoint, maybe a very, uh, uh, maybe a very scientific standpoint. Some from a very experiential standpoint. You know, um, we might call it uh, spiritual, but you know, if a person hasn't had a certain experience, then they can't relate to that stuff you're talking about. You know, and they start looking at you like, yeah, she's really woo-woo. You know, but once one has that experience, you know, then, you know, uh, now that can fit into their paradigm. You know, so it's all right. You can hold your truth, you know. But sometimes if you want to share what you need to share, you need to share it in a way that the person you're trying to share it with can understand the words coming out of your mouth, that, that they can, can relate to what you're saying. And then gradually you can expand so that... Um, Something else can be shared. Something else can drop in there. And so we don't have to talk about uh, Buddha said this or Buddha said that or Jesus said this or said that or, or you know, Baha'u'llah said this or said that. You know, because we are a walking, talking book. How we carry ourselves in the course of the day, in our interactions with each other, in our capacity, you know, to, uh, to soothe ourselves, in our capacity to encourage our own selves. You know, this is when we start to know that the Dharma is working. <laughs> I know that it's working when it works, you know. And so, so when we are, are, um, are in the throes of a difficulty for ourselves, how do we get out of that difficulty? How do I know how to take myself out of that difficulty? Do I know how to climb out of that hole myself? And when we find that we can climb out, then we start to get some confidence in, in the Dharma. And, uh, and things start uh, uh, coming together, kind of like a, a puzzle. You know how you, uh, Kay buys these thousand piece puzzles. We're too old for that. She buys these thousand-piece puzzles, and it takes up, like, the whole dining room table. And it's like 200 blue pieces for the sky. I mean, <laughs> and she can put them together. I look at it, and then I'm like, why? You know, but I wait until the puzzle's almost done. You know, Panyadipa comes around when it's about 75% done, and he maybe gets in like two pieces and says, I helped. <laughs> you know, I wait until we got about 10 pieces left, you know, and uh, because, you know, when it's almost finished, you can look, but in the beginning, it's like all helter-skelter. It's, it's, it's nothing there, and you just start associating you know, the greens over here and the green and, and, and grays over here and the blue over here. And, and then after a while you start piecing together, this, this walk of life is that same, it's that same way. It's that same way. And sometimes a piece almost fits, you know, it's just a little bit off in the curvature. And you're like just pressing, trying to like press the... Um, uh, what is that, the cardboard that the puzzle's made out of to kind of make it fill that little hole? You're just going to make that piece fit, you know. And, but the piece does not fit, you know. And so, and so life is like that, you know. And we have these pieces all spread out, you know. And we start fitting 
together, grouping together, getting an, a glimpse, an idea of the picture. And what our spiritual teachers do is they give us like the photo on the top of the box. It looks like that. You know, and you just keep working with it until yours starts looking like that. Now, like I'm tapping over here. No, I need to go tap over here. And as we do this, we find um, uh, the life becomes joy, joy, joyful even in, when, uh, even when we're losing. We can find some solace in the present moment. Not just when we're gaining, but even when we're losing. Even when we're being uh, misunderstood. Not just when we're being praised. And when we can, then we know we're making progress on the path. Not because somebody gave us a, a grade, but because life truly becomes worth living. Like we're not just here going through some motions. We're not just here doing the same thing every day. And even though we might be doing the same thing every day, every day becomes a new day. And there is a wonderment in the moment. And that's what makes life worth living. It's like um, This whole concept of this ego and being at the center of our world is like a blot of, of darkness. Or it's like being in, a, in a, a dark room. And you don't have to like keep trying to usher the darkness out of the room. No way to do that. So it's no way to like just get rid of the ego. But, you know, if you turn a light on, it completely dispels the darkness. And so our practice is continually turning the light on, turning the light on, shining the light. And the more we do that, the less the ego uh, re-manifests, the less it comes back. After a while, just the vessel is full of light. And when it is full, one knows that it's full. When it's half full, one knows that they're just half full. And when one is empty, one knows that one is empty. The thing is, we can also know when one is empty. We can know when one is half full. And we can know when one is full. There is an interconnectedness. There is a strand. Um, um, uh, there is a, a unification that takes place. And we, we um, my, one of my teachers would call it grokking. We would grok. We grok with one another. And then uh, it's, it's, uh, everything becomes simpler. Everything becomes easier. Um, everything becomes the kids call it copacetic. And, and we don't need these highs and lows to give some meaning to life then. We can just uh, move through life enjoying the present moment. 
not grasping or clinging for anything, not even an identification. I had one teacher, she was my, at the time I called her my worst, absolute worst teacher. I know that some of the difficulties that I have uh, has to do with how I have treated my teachers. <laughs> I treated them bad, I, I really did. Um, I've come to have a great admiration <laughs> and respect for all of them because a lot of the lessons that they were teaching me then, I didn't penetrate them until a lot later. But when I did, then there was the appreciation. Now the Buddha said, best to appreciate everybody in the moment so that you won't have regrets later. Because I do have some regrets. I know they don't care, you know. They don't, they're not worried about that. They're just looking upon you, well, that's your thing. If you feel guilty about it, deal with that. You know, they don't care. But, uh, but I would get really, really upset with this particular teacher. But when I was with her, she's the only one that I was, have ever been with. That there was a space that everything, every single stressor in my life disappeared. And she would make me do things. And I'm like, can you get somebody else? I did that yesterday. And she'd give me the same jobs over and over. Here we let people sort of pick their jobs. But I'm thinking maybe we need to just change that because we just don't want them to leave. Maybe we need to change it. And, you know. But, you know, she'd give me the same job. And I'm like, I did that one yesterday. It's not even a good job. Can you get some, give that to somebody else today? You know, and she just had me do the same thing over and over. Whatever it was I didn't like, she was wrapping mine and she'd give me that, you know. And, um, and. But there came a time that I got to a place, and sometimes she'd have me do something, and then she'd undo what I did. Like if she's cooking those white mushrooms that, that are sticky, you know, they, and they boil, if the fire's too hot, they boil over the pot, but it's sticky. And, you, you know, it sticks all to the pot, to the stove, run down on the floor. I'm like, she's supposed to be enlightened. Can she know, tell that the... The stove, you know, the burner needs to be down lower so that the pot doesn't boil, boil over. You know, so I'm trying to educate her. I'm trying to, you know, tell her something. I'm saying, Master, you got to keep the fire down, you know, halfway. Otherwise, it's going to boil, boil over. And she look at me and say, who's the master? I'm like, I don't know right now, you know. <laughs> you know, but, but and so, so we'd have these tugs all the, all the time. And, uh, and so... Uh, so I'd turn the fire down, clean up the mess, and she'd come in. You know, she's Chinese. Uh, Chinese masters, they always walk like this if they're, like, being stern, trying to let you know that they're in charge. And she'd come in, and she'd look, and she'd look at everything, and then she'd turn it up and turn around, and she'd walk out. And next thing you know, it's boiling over again. And I'd just clean that up. And then I'd have to clean it up again, turn the fire down, and she would know. She's somewhere else in the monastery. But as soon as I get it all cleaned up and everything, here she come. And, and she look and she turn it right back up. And I'm talking about these are the ways that, 
that she trained me, but she was dealing with my pride. She was dealing with my ego. She was dealing with my sense of myself. She was dealing with, she was dealing with all of these kinds of things, you see. And, uh, and so, uh, but there came a time that I got to the place that I, it didn't matter whether she told me to do 12 different things or one thing 12 times. It was like I found contentment in cleaning up the goo as much as contentment in sitting down and hearing a teaching, which is why I was there, which is what I wanted. But she said, you're not ready to hear it yet. First, you got to take care of this. You know. And so that's how we learn. Sometimes it's not at the very thing that we think we want, but it's something over here that is needful for us. And once we enter into that, then when we get this, we actually understand it and we can actually use it ourselves. So be encouraged where you are in the Dharma. Pick up a Dharma book from the library. If you pick up a book and you can't understand it, wrong book, just return that one and get another one and get one that you can understand. Um, we're going to be doing a retreat, in, I think, in, in March. Uh, I'm going to start with the retreat in, in November, Lamb Rim, the stages of the path, but I want to bring the three schools together because they have to be brought, uh, uh, have to be understood in a totality. Otherwise, we just, you know, have an intellectual understanding of things, but can't really put it into practice. And, uh, and so, um, uh, so you might sit in on some of those Lamb Rim some of those Lamb Rim classes, and so it'll introduce you to um, uh, uh, Mahayana as well as, as Vajrayana, uh, Vajrayana practices, and these are practices that open the heart, that, that uh, soften uh, the heart, that give us a, you know, a, a way of bringing, um, uh, bringing the things that, that beset us instead of pushing them away, how to bring them onto the path and how to work with them. Once we learn how to work with them in ourselves, then we know how to work with them in others. And the primary thing is to cultivate the joy. You know, sometimes I laugh up here. I'm not laughing to, to be laughing. I'm, I got to laugh to keep from crying. Sometimes it's like that. But then after a while, that really, it becomes infectious. Uh, and it takes over. And the whole mind shifts. When the mind shifts, the whole structure of appearances shift. And so we have the capacity to do that for ourselves. That's the good news. One, one teacher told me, she said, the only purpose of a master is to show you that you too are also a master. The only difference between a master and me is that the master knows they are master, and I don't know that I am. And so it brings a certain confidence that uproots some doubt that we have. Doubt in ourselves, doubt in the teaching, doubt in the path, doubt in others, you know. We're overcome by all these kinds of doubts. But when we find something that can replace it, we uproot that doubt from the inside out. That nobody has to tell us anything. We can, can uh, channel down into that intrinsic wisdom that we possess and we can know how to uh, live and move and have our being in this world. 
May you be well and happy and peaceful. May no harm come to you and no danger. May you always be able to meet with the inevitable difficulties of life. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.